MyWax Museum is a proud member of the Create Fine. Hey, before we get into today's show, I just wanted to pop in and mention that MyWax Museum is part of a whole network of shows produced at Mecco Radio. The network includes shows like She Has a Name Too, Broken Bulbs, The Old Goal of Truth, and more. We've got some incredible projects happening now, starting now, and upcoming. So tune in for those. We'll be talking about those more in the future as they come out. But for now, if you want to check out the other shows, you can do so at mechoradio.com. That's it. Just mechoradio.com. Go to mechoradio.com. That's Echo with an M in front of it. M-E-C-H-O radio.com. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams. Funny how that never seems to change. And today I'm joined by Andrew Cacao, a fellow podcaster, in fact. Today we talk about anxiety, mental health, fatherhood, and goals, and as well a little bit about his podcast, The Garage Band Dads. It's a great conversation, and I can't wait to get into it with you. So, with that said, please remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Andrew Cacao, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'm really excited to have you here. It's kind of, it's a very um, different interview, I feel like, because for the most part, I've interviewed my peers from church and then fellow podcasters. And although you are a fellow podcaster, that is not how we know each other. So do you want to give the the story as to how we got acquainted? Uh, sure. So we'd both been on a mutual friends podcast and we'd both written feedback to this to mutual friend to mission stories. And so I kind of knew who you were by the feedback you'd given them. And then I was on Reddit and we were both on the same subreddit and you had commented uh, something that was kind of related to mission stories. And, uh, and I was like, and your, your Reddit name is Alex Williams, something, something. Right. And I was like, what are the odds that this guy is the same Alex Williams who was on mission stories? So I just messaged you on Reddit and said, you're not Alex Williams. who does my wax museum. Are you? (laughs) And that, (laughs) that was pretty much how we got to be here. Yeah, so, and I was I was like, uh, yes, I am. Uh, who is this? <laughs> and then I eventually figured it out and figured out uh, that the Mission Stories podcast was our mutual connection. And then, yeah, and then we got chatting ever since then. And then and then I uh, decided to have you on my Wax Museum. So it's kind of a roundabout way because we've almost passed each other like several several times. Especially I know. Uh, multiple of your siblings and I know your parents as well so it it was almost inevitable that we would eventually interact Uh, so with that uh, where are you from originally so I was born and raised in Calgary Um, now I live it just outside of Vancouver in Langley so about 40 kilometers outside Vancouver and uh, I'm curious what your experience growing up in Calgary was like most of the people that I interview are from Calgary. Uh, 
And, but I, I mean, it's a big city and everybody has a different experience. What was your view of the city as a child? Uh, even until we moved, I loved Calgary and I still love Calgary. Um, the thing I love about Calgary is it is a small town wrapped up in a big city. So you've got big malls, you've got big shops, you've got a lot of things you can go out and do. Um, but at the same time, you get your car stuck in the ditch, like 12 people come over with chains and uh, and pickup trucks to pull you out. And you don't know any of them, right? And your neighbor will just shovel your sidewalk or some random kids down the street will shovel everybody's sidewalk. And personally, like I know everybody in Calgary hates the winter. And to be honest, like I hated the winter a lot too. But I think it's the winter. That's what makes Calgary. That's what gives it that small town feel is that we all go through that horrible winter together and we're all pushing each other out of a ditch together. And, and that's what makes us so, uh, I don't know, kind of friendly neighbors. Hmm. That's, you know, it's interesting that you describe it as kind of the small town wrapped up in a big city because I brought friends from school, uh, from the U S up here and they actually said the same thing. They were just here for a week or a weekend and they they said, yeah, it kind of feels small, you know, like it it just has this nice energy to it of of a community. And that's something I have to say that I, I really enjoy about Calgary as well. Um, in in our quick questions beforehand, you also mentioned that you're the oldest of six kids. So what was what was that experience like? Because that's a big family. And then on top of that, being the oldest, or as some call it, the experiment child, to, you know, test out parenting skills. What was that like? So I'll, I'll just say this. When me and my wife first started talking about having kids, I always thought, yeah, kids, kids are great. And then, but when, uh, when the chips were actually down and my wife's like, yeah, I'm ready to have kids. I was like, I just start having all these flashbacks to maybe five or six years ago or sorry, not five or six years ago, but like five or six years before me and my wife were having that conversation. Does that make sense? Do I need to re-explain what I'm uh, Maybe, maybe re-explain it. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So about like end of 2012, my wife starts saying she wants to have kids mm -hmm. and I start having flashbacks to maybe 2003, 2004 to where I was changing my youngest brother's diaper. Oh, okay. And I was like, I haven't had enough time away from this. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, <laughs> I guess as, as the oldest, you're, yeah. you know, you're jumping into this with still younger siblings. Cause what's the age difference between you and your youngest? 14 years. So I was, yeah, I was finishing up changing diapers like at the start of grade 11. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's kind of the same, the same boat in in my family is oldest and youngest 14 years apart and it does give this this kind of weird weird thing but you you are a dad now and i think we'll probably actually let's let's touch on that now um okay sure usually i do like a bit more of a chronological thing but since since we're here let's let's talk about be, being a dad um what <laughs> when that actually happened for you what was that like? Uh, 20, 2013. So I just, I'd say um, it was 2013. Um, and I remember somebody saying to us before, like when my wife was pregnant, he looked at me and he said, your life's not going to change. He looked at my wife and he said, but your life's going to change a lot. 
And I'd say with one kid, that's pretty true. Um, one thing is, is, and I don't want to get into like a, a breastfeeding debate or whatever, but stereotypically for the first kind of six months to a year of a baby's life, it wakes up to feed, it wakes up to poop, it wakes up to get burped. And most of the time it's just feeding though. And that's like mom's job, you know? And so, yeah, like my wife's life changed a lot, but for me, it was, I come home from work and here's a little peanut and I get to hold him and then burp him. And then he starts crying because he wants to get fed and I just give him to mom. Right. Right. Interesting. And so my wife's life changed a lot, but for me, I'd say like the delivery was pretty uh, tough. Uh, like the labor was pretty long and he had to get suctioned out. And I think with um, just some other friends we have who have kids, typically it seems like the first delivery is usually tougher than, you know, when they have their next kid. So the delivery was pretty tough. It was very tough on my wife. It was tough for me to watch. Um, but I mean, when our son was finally born, it was just, it was kind of cathartic because there was all this kind of pain and suffering and emotion. And then he finally comes out and it's just, you can't even believe it really. And it's almost looking at him. It's like, I can't believe this is real. You, um, you became a dad. It's, you know, you're, you're talking about your wife's life changing a lot. Have you had more kids since then? And then what has the impact of that been? So we have one more, so we've got two. Um, so we got a boy and a girl. So, I mean, we're done if we want to be done because we got one of each. Um, but I'd say, um, you know, interestingly enough, so my dad got cancer. Um, he got diagnosed in October. Uh, luckily he's in partial remission and everything's going exactly as wonderfully as it could be. Um, but spending a lot of time with my dad and visiting with him, it made me think a lot about how he was when I was growing up. And one thing that really stood out to me about my dad was that even though he worked a lot of long hours and carried a lot of stress uh, from his job, he always came home with a good attitude and a lot of energy. And at least, I don't know, like maybe you'd ask him and he'd say, no, I feel like I was grumpy most of the time when I came home. But the way I remember my dad is he came home with a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm and like he was ready to play. And I tell him about what I did ex at school and he would be excited. And so spending that time with my dad, kind of in that emotional state of, oh, dad might not be with us too long. What do I really remember about my dad? I remember my dad being a lot of fun. And so I came home and I really thought about who I was when I would come home from work and I was getting to be a bit of a grizzly bear. And since then, I've really been thinking, okay, like how are my kids going to remember me as they get older? Um, and I've been, over the last few months, just been working on coming home in a good mood, being enthusiastic about what my kids are talking about, um, having energy to play or wrestle or do whatever they want to do. In, in your questions beforehand that I, that I asked you, um, you, you spoke a few times about your dad, and it was clear about the admiration and the love that you have for your dad. Um, which I can totally understand knowing your dad, he is awesome. Uh, and, and like, I adore him as much as any, anybody else. Um, and so I'm curious, like seeing him as a, as a child and getting that perspective, what was, what was that like? What was that relationship like, um, growing up kind of looking back to your childhood? 
with my with dad? dad. What was my relationship yeah. like with my dad? Yeah. You're is this like my psychiatrist chair? Is this my wax museum? <laughs> maybe like, maybe, <laughs> maybe both. What was like I mean okay. like when when you were growing up, just how how did you see him and um and what you know, I, I guess what effect did that have on you into developing into, you know, the way that you're deciding to be a dad to your kids? Right. So, okay. So I think everybody tries to either emulate the good things their parents did and then tries to fix the bad things their parents did or not so good things their parents did. And then they just end up overcorrecting and screwing up their kids in a different way. But I think evolution is as long as your kids are going to therapy for different reasons, then we've got progress, right? Like I, I say that tongue in cheek. I'm not saying literally going to therapy, but I mean, if you're grumpy at your dad for different things than he was grumpy at his dad for, then we've got progress. But if you all hate your dad because your dad beat you and did drugs and, <laughs> and grandpa beat you, <laughs> his kids and did drugs and great grandpa did drugs, beat his kids, we got a problem, right? Um, so I just say, the things I emulate from from the things that I love about my dad was oh so much energy, so much enthusiasm, just a love for life. Um, you know what? And that's what I really, really love about my dad. Um, my dad was very, very active and involved in the church. And when I was growing up, he was involved with the youth group, but it was always the youth group that was like four years older than me. Um, so I would sometimes feel a bit passed over for all these other kids that my dad seemed to be spending all this time with. Um, but I think like, as I've gotten older, I just realize and appreciate a bit more. Like that was something that was important to my dad and my dad didn't exist to serve me. My dad had his own life. And, the, and when you're a kid, you kind of, because you start out with your parents, just kind of doing everything for you. And you just, it's hard to always realize like my dad has his own goals and dreams and things he wants to do outside of the family. And that's okay. But it's just like, I'd see my dad doing things with all these other kids. And I'd be like, what about me, dad? What about me, dad? What about me, dad? Was kind of how I felt uh, growing up. But I think now that I'm in the dad's chair and I see there's all these other things that I want to do outside of spend time with my kids, I understand my dad better interesting yeah that is really interesting how we build that perspective i'm curious did that uh, like i'm interested to look at the years like between you being in your family's roof and then you know between that and then having kids of your own when you were an adult on your own kind of getting to do more of your own thing you're not in the dad's chair uh and you're also independent what was that experience like for you like in terms, like just, yeah, just, I mean, I mean, life or, or my relationship with my dad. Just, just in terms of life. Yeah. Un unless you want to keep talking about your dad. <laughs> um, no, I'm good to talk about this, I guess here's, and I've, I've been unpacking this, um, quite a bit. So I was uh, raised a Mormon and uh, I don't really, I, it would, sorry, earlier in those questions you were asking me, you were asking me about strong opinions I hold. And I guess one that I hold is just call yourselves Mormon. <laughs> you know, this whole, like we're members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints thing. Just that is a strongly held opinion. <laughs> like just get over it and accept that everybody calls you Mormon. Right. So anyway, 
<laughs> I was raised, I was raised Mormon. I can say I would, let's say I was a, a medium Mormon, uh, kind of through junior high and, uh, in high school. And, um, but of course, when you're like a medium committed Mormon, you feel like you are just because there's so many uh, rules, regulations, and expectations associated with the religion. When you're doing it half-heartedly, you feel like crap, right? <laughs> Maybe not everybody, but I'd say I did. And so I kind of internalized a bunch of guilt. And then at the end of high school, it was kind of, are you going on a mission or not? And I really thought about it and kind of worked myself up into a religious experience and said, yeah, I've got to go on a mission. Uh, so I went on a mission and I went to England and it was, I think it like, it was a good experience and I learned how to work very, very hard. I learned how to be really, really humble and take feedback no matter who's giving it. Um, and those are things that I've taken away that have helped me, uh, throughout my professional career as well. Uh, so I can't say that it was a wasted experience, but going from being a lukewarm Mormon to having a religious quote unquote awakening, I kind of, it was like, I overcorrected and, you know, they talk about people doing a 180. I maybe did a 270. And so it was like, I was the most intense Mormon I could possibly be. And something started happening to me around the time I, you know, within a year or two of meeting my wife was I would start feeling like, you know what, all through high school, I had no problem with girls and dating, but now dating is like unbearably uncomfortable and I'm worse at handling relationships than I was when I was a teenager. And now I'm getting into my mid twenties. There's something wrong with that. And just like the stresses of life, I was worse at handling. and what I ended up realizing was I had, I've always had a slightly anxious personality, but the intensity that I was trying to be a Mormon with, um, wound me up so tight. I developed an anxiety disorder and mild depression. So that's kind of the summary of the intervening years between finishing high school and getting married was trying to be this religious superstar. Um, but then working myself up into a depression, <laughs> it was, those are like some pretty dark and challenging years for me. I, I'm curious if I, if I can ask about this, um, what did you do during those years to make it through? So I managed it very, very poorly. Um, but part of the reason why I managed it poorly was I didn't realize that I had a, a anxiety disorder and that, um, there's something in my brain that was kind of overruling my rational thought. And so it, when you don't know that it's the anxiety talking, it just starts to become normal. Um, so I just kind of, one thing that was classic is I'd meet a girl and she'd be interesting and nice and beautiful. And I'd say, Hey, we should go out sometime. And we go out on a date and I think it was nice. And she had a good time. And I had a good time. And then this was before ghosting was like a thing. But I'd just be like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I just get like this pain in my chest. And I'd just be like, I don't think we should, uh, yeah, that was fun, but I, I'm just not interested or whatever. Or I'd handle it even worse than that. I think probably, 
I can't, I, you know, I don't want to embarrass myself too much, but I can definitely say that I probably, you know, if I could have just handled it like that, that would have been better than the way I handled it. I, I think, um, I think what I, I don't want to over inflict, I don't want to pump my tires so much to say that I led people on, you know, um, but I would say that I was just confusing kind of in the level of interest that I'd show. Um, so it kind of be like, oh, I think I'm interested. Then I get this pain in my chest and feel all this anxiety. So then I say, yeah, maybe we should back off. Maybe we're just better as friends or something like that. And then, and then I'd calm down. And then maybe a month or two later, I'd be like, you know what? She really is like an interesting person. I, what was I thinking? And then I kind of go back and forth sometimes and just, I think, confuse people. Um, you know, before they could even get to a, a level of interest, you know, to a point where I was leading them on, it was just like, even before we got there, I was just confusing, you know, but I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Um, I, you know, <laughs> but, um, I just, I handled those things poorly. And then, uh, I met my wife and I was starting to come to terms with it. My mom had just kind of given me hints like, son, you don't seem like yourself. You know, you've come home from your mission and some things were great. And in some ways you just don't seem like yourself. And she just kept kind of saying, you don't seem like yourself anymore. And then I just kind of Googled some self-tests on anxiety and depression and just came to the conclusion that, yeah, I need some help. And then uh, the other thing was, was that like every time I, when I date somebody and I feel that pain in my chest and whatever, I just kind of run away. And honestly, I worked myself up. I was like, I must be losing the spirit because something about this is very wrong that I just don't understand or perceive yet. But I need to listen to God because God's ways are higher than our ways and on and on and on, just kind of running religious circles in my brain. And then I met my wife and for some reason, well, she's just, she's the most straightforward and honest person I've ever met. And she's very, very blunt. And so because she's very, very blunt, I found her very, very easy to trust. And so I just told her one night we were hanging out and we'd been going out for a few weeks and everything was wonderful. And I just said, I don't know why, but for like the last four years, every time I've gone on more than a couple of dates with someone, I get an unbearable pain in my chest. And the only thing that makes it go away is me ending things, ending things before they're really even in a relationship. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know what to do. And she said, well, do you know what? Some people in my family kind of struggled with anxiety and this is how they managed it. So those two things, the combination of my mom telling me you're not yourself, my wife, but then girlfriend telling me, you know what? I know other people who had anxiety and she's just so non-judgmental. And all she really cared about was she was like, yeah, some people get anxiety and then they get help and then they get better. So why don't you just get some help and get better? And I was like, why don't you just let me sit here and wallow in my self-pity for the rest of my life kind of thing? It was, she was just very proactive and like, you have a problem. Lots of people have problems. Go deal with your problem. And, and I know you can't talk to everybody who's in it. It's not that easy. I know that mental health is a, a complex issue. And I know that what I suffered with is relatively mild compared to some worse things, but it worked for me in this particular situation. It was just go see a doctor, go see a psychologist get some counseling, see what they say about medication and work through it, right? And that's what ended up happening, so. Hey guys, Future Alex here, just popping in to let you know about all the things we're doing at Mecco Radio. It's 
been an incredible year so far. And in just a couple weeks, She Has a Name too will be back for its third season. My older sister, Jerrica, does this podcast called She Has a Name too, where she sits down with other mothers and talks to them about who they are outside of motherhood. It's a fantastic show, and we have some absolutely incredible guests lined up for season three. So you'll definitely want to check it out. You can go listen to the backlog now and get stoked for what's coming up in season three, starting May 9th, Mother's Day, right? Convenient. Yeah, we did that on purpose. Yeah, pretty good. I'd say it's pretty good. Now, back to the show. I, f- I find it interesting. I've had a few conversations with people about mental health in general and depression and anxiety on different levels on this show. And it's interesting how it really is a unique problem for everybody, right? Everybody has their own reason that they're going through it, or they have, you know, different levels of it. Sometimes it's very mild, and sometimes it's extreme. And, and so I I think any, any experience of that is is shared uh, that is shared is valuable so um to kind of wrap up that conversation if if anybody listening to this is struggling with mental health anxiety or depression something along those lines do you have any advice from your own personal experience that you would offer them It's to get help from the right people and to not be ashamed of getting help. Um, Because the the biggest roadblock for me was getting over and accepting that I had a mental health issue because, and this is going back 10 years, um, but even 10 years ago, it was like, I don't have anxiety or depression. That's what those people have, right? Like mental health issues were something that other people had, but I'm normal and normal people don't get that. Well, normal people do get that. So I had to get over the stigma myself and just accept that every day doesn't have to be like this. And my life doesn't have to be miserable. I just need to talk to somebody who's qualified to give me the right help. Like just accepting that I was dealing with a problem that was bigger than me. It was bigger than my family. Nobody around me was qualified to help. I had to go seek out a doctor. And the doctor was just like, I said, I think I have anxiety. But it was probably a little bit more like, I think I have anxiety. (laughs) And he's like, oh, what makes you think that? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I got this and I got this and I got this and I got that. And he's like, okay, take these for two weeks. Tell me if you feel any more calm. If you don't feel any more calm, we'll change the dosage or we'll change the medication. And I was like, okay. And even just realizing that just having the doctor confirm to me that you have an anxiety disorder. It was like this thousand pound weight was taken off my shoulder because I'd been functioning so poorly for like three or four years. And I didn't know why. And then somebody can just say, you have an anxiety disorder. That's why you feel like your life's falling apart. Even when it isn't, that's why you're handling these social situations poorly. I was like, okay, like I've solved the riddle and now I can work on it. That's interesting. And I have heard that that helps a lot of people is just acknowledging the problem in the first place and having 
like uh, something to pin it on and, and um, almost an explanation, right? To define it really helps in the first place. And I think one other thing that like that, what that experience was helpful for was that I had to be more communicative with my, like at the time girlfriend, but now wife about what's going on inside my head. Um, so there were some mornings where I'd be walking to work. I was working a summer job uh, when we were dating or engaged and I would just phone her and I'd say, Hey, here's all the things that are just winding me up right now. And I'm just phoning you because I'm in a state right now. And I just need to tell you that I am so that, you know, so that if I do something weird or nonsensical, we can work through it. Right. But that's, here's where I'm at. And uh, being able to, because anxiety is normal, right? Like it's an anxiety disorder when it persists for more than a couple of weeks or something, right? That's where it's like not normal. But if you feel anxious during a stressful time, then that's okay. You should be feeling anxious. It's when you're feeling anxious with no stressors for an extended period of time, you got to talk to somebody. But even now there are some days, even in the last couple of months where I come home from work and I just say, do you know what? Like, honey, I'm not myself. And I think I'm just kind of going through a bit of a stressful time right now. And I just need you to know I'm not myself, but I'm trying. Right. And she's like, okay. Like she files that away in the back of her mind and understands that I'm going through something and, you know, she can kind of change and accommodate. But I think when anxiety just manifests as anger or irrationality, it's hard for the people around you to cope. Right. But if you start, when I start noticing myself getting into an anxious state, I can say, okay, just need you to know I'm really wound up. And sometimes I don't understand why. So if I'm just like, babe, like I'm really wound up and I don't know why, but I just need you to know I'm like really anxious right now. And I don't know why. And I might be crazy. She's like, okay, let me do this for you. Let me help you. Let me, you know, and she can step up to the plate and help me. But if I just bury it and deal with it on my, try and deal with it on my own, then it just manifests as like a stupid fight. There's actually, there's this scene in Iron Man 3. Have you seen Iron Man 3? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah. So, you know, when he buys like the eight foot teddy bear for Pepper Potts for a birthday or something? <laughs> yes. And they get in a huge fight about it. Right? Yeah. I watched that and I almost started crying because of how real it was for someone who's dealing with an anxiety disorder because he's fighting about the teddy bear, but he's not really fighting about the teddy bear. Right, right. And, and it's, he, he does this weird and irrational, stupid thing. And then, and then when Pepper can't understand why he's doing it, it's all anger and frustration and it's a fight now. And then even when he's trying to defend himself, nothing he's saying is making sense. And yeah, that was like the first time I saw that it was way too real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, because communication solves a lot of problems. Yeah. And like the number of fights that I've been in, that me and my wife have been in, that were as stupid as that fight over the teddy bear are just too many to number. And and I know, and I can look back and say, that's because I was dialed up about this or anxious about this or whatever, right? So over maybe, maybe the last year, I've just been better at recognizing when I'm getting into like an anxious state and when I need to say, hey, I'm not myself right now. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, and, and so as we get into the last little bit of the, the podcast here, I want to hear about kind of, I guess how you're taking, you know, the person that you are now and the person that you've been 
and looking towards the future. It can be career goals, family goals, personal goals, whatever. What do you see coming up in your future? What or what do you want to see? Like, what's my New Year's resolution? I I guess it's, we're recording this at the beginning of the year. I guess it could be New Year's yeah. resolutions, but I don't yeah. really do those, so it could be anything. Um, so just like a few things, I've got a few things in, and they are New Year's resolutions. One of them is to read more. So it's like all through high school, I read and read, and then university, I'm reading textbooks and textbooks, and then uh, kind of the postgraduate professional studies I did, it was reading all the damn time. And I never read anything that I enjoyed. So probably like 12 years of not reading anything I enjoyed. And, and now I just don't even read at all. And I was like, I've really got to read more just to be a smarter person generally. Right. So I hate reading so much. And it's not that I'm bad at it. It's just that it's like monotonous and boring and it takes so long for a book to get to the point. And you know what I mean? Um, but I've just, okay, I'm going to set a timer for 15 minutes a day and I'm going to read. And when the timer is done, I'm closing the book. And one thing that I found with that is that when the alarm goes off at 15 minutes, I don't want to close the book anymore. Um, but it, so it's leaving a little bit, it's leaving enough where I'm like, I want to do that again. <laughs> if I set a goal, like I'm going to oh. read for an hour every day, I'd hate reading, but yeah. it's just a small goal. I'm like, I'm going to read for 15 minutes every day and I'm going to set a timer when the timer's done, I'm done. And then when the timer goes off and I'm like, oh, but it was just getting to this. Oh, it's just getting so good. And I'm like, well, I got to get back and read tomorrow. <laughs> and now I've kind of got this positive feedback loop where I'm engaged in reading. The other one is I've been diddling with the podcast that I've got for two years now, almost like two years in March or May. And we've been putting out sporadic episodes and I'm too scared to podcast by myself. But I just said, this is the year I'm either going to make or break this podcast. I'm going to put out an episode every two weeks. I don't care if my co-host can come or not. I'm doing it by myself if I have to. If it's only five minutes by myself, then it's only five minutes. But I'm putting something out every two weeks. And if it grows from there over this year, if once every two weeks, and I'll keep at it. If it doesn't, I'm done. Good. And uh, the name of your podcast is and where everybody can find it? Uh, Garage Band Dads. We've got a Facebook page. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, or Google. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think those are great goals. And as a podcaster myself, consistency is huge. Just getting up and like, and doing it. That's, yeah, that's the biggest, the biggest part. So I approve of those goals. And I think I might steal your reading a book technique. Cause I feel, I feel the same way, man. Oh man. It is so long and and so maybe if i make this little cliffhanger at 14 minutes or 15 minutes i can just you know okay now i have to get back to it yes and do you, i found a similar thing this is something i've fallen off the horse with but i should get into it is like i'm i'm naturally not very flexible and then i work in an office so my flexibility is like going down the tubes and so what you run into with that is like you just get injured easier and like things that were easy to do 10 years ago or hard to do now. And I'm like, I'm getting old too fast. So I was like, I want to do yoga, but I don't want to do yoga for 40 minutes. So I found this guy, his name's Sean Vig, V I G U E on YouTube. And he does like yoga videos that are short as 10 minutes. 
And I started doing some of those. And I was like, after a week, I was like, 10 minutes isn't long enough. I got to do 15 now, man. And then at the end of 15 minutes, I was like, this is great. And eventually I worked myself up to 20 minutes where I didn't want to shoot myself. That's awesome. Right? And that was where, so I got the same idea with reading is I was like, if I say I'm reading a chapter every night or an hour every night or whatever, I'm like, I just end up hating reading more. So it's just like 15 minutes and at 15 minutes, you're done. You don't get to keep reading, especially if you really like what you're reading, you have to put it down because then it makes you hungry for more. But if you just, it's like, if it's like, this is the year I'm going to get fit. This is the year I'm going to do it. I'm changing my diet. I'm exercising an hour every day. I'm doing all blah, blah, blah. You're going to overwhelm yourself. You're going to hate diet and exercise more than anybody you know. And then you're just going to get fatter because you overwhelmed yourself and gave yourself no kind of sense of reward or accomplishment. I mean, that's my, in my limited experience, I'd say that's my view on that. But Yeah. And I, I'd have to agree build healthy habits and you're, you're so much better for it. Yeah. So exactly. as, as you build these healthy habits, um, and, and continue living your life, this is the, the final question that I ask at the end of every episode, except for one time where I forgot to, uh, <laughs> when, <laughs> when you're at the end of your life and you're looking back retrospectively on everything you've accomplished, all the people you've met, everything you've done, what are the things that you are most proud of and satisfied with? Like, what are the things I'm going to be proud of in 60 years from now? Yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't done them yet. Like I, <laughs> what do you think they will be? I got, do you know what the things I'm doing now, the way my life has changed in the last three years, unbelievable. The way my life has changed in the last 10 years, unbelievable. So what am I going to do in another 60 well, I mean, if I die before I'm wearing diapers again, I'd say I've lived. <laughs> Consider me in that I, camp, I don't man. Know. What's Consider that? Consider me in that camp. I'm, I'm the same <laughs> yeah. way. I'm like, please, 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 please don't send me backwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've seen. I saw my grandparents get old and pass away, and it was just like put a pillow on my face before we get there. Like, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I mean like to not just give you the gears over that question, like to answer that question seriously, like who do I want to be at the end of my life? I just say, um, like one thing I found a lot of value in, in my job is when I'm hiring for junior level positions, looking for people, who are in like a retail or food service kind of environment, people who just really need a chance to get into the next income bracket or whatever, you know, just looking for people where this job would be a bump for them and then taking them and then teaching them more skills and, and building people's resumes is something that I find a lot of joy in. So if I came to the end of my life and somebody at my funeral said, you know what, Andrew Cacao, never stop helping me build my resume, I'd be pretty happy with that. I think that would be an awesome accomplishment um, and a great compliment. So with that, I'll just remind everybody, you can find GarageBand Dads wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to put links in the show notes for everybody so that it's easy to click through to them. And with that, I just want to say thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. And thank you you for listening. 
not just to this show, which we certainly do appreciate, but more to the people around you, the people in your life that you just happen to know. Take some time, just five minutes, to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco, 